Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I got a great guest in store for you today, Mr. Adam Kahane. Adam, thanks for being with us. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation. And, uh, you know, for the listeners, Adam is director of Rios Partners, an organization that helps people move forward together on their most important and intractable issues. For 30-plus years, he's facilitated teams of executives, politicians, philanthropists, generals, guerrillas, civil servants, trade unionists, uh, community activists, clergy, and artists in more than 50 countries and in every part of the world. His work and methods have been praised by Nobel Prize uh, Peace Prize winners Nelson Mandela and Juan Manuel Santos. And he shares those in his new book, which is going to be kind of a backdrop for a lot of our discussion today, Facilitating Breakthrough, How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Differences, and Move Forward Together. So with all of that uh, experience behind you there, I'm really excited to see how you answer the first question where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Well, it's uh, a... I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I found it more uh, more provocative than I realized when I first uh, read it in your email. For me, the basic meaning of responsible leadership means that you're responsible to others. And, and maybe that's, for me, the most important contrast between between leadership, which is about just about me and what I want and where I'm trying to go and my dream and my... Uh, my mission and my story and my bank account, uh, I'd call that irresponsible leadership. And responsible leadership is where it's not just about me. There's others involved, whether the others are employees or people in the community or customers or, 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 or the planet. Um, so that, that's what that's what responsible evokes to me, this other focused or leadership that that puts other people in the picture. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that take on it. And and, and I think that, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that's got to be a key part of of facilitating. You know, we, we talked about all of the things that you've been in uh, involved with, all the different types of groups and, and issues that those groups have had. That's got to be a key part of facilitating those things successfully, right? Well, it's the essence of uh, it's the essence of that kind of leadership. I mean, I could have called the book 
facilitative leadership. It's a way of, it's a, or facilitation for responsible leadership. It's, for me, facilitation is uh, a way of, a way of getting things done in the world uh, where, yeah, where I need to, I need to involve others. Uh, I can't do it all. I can't do it all myself. Um, I can't force it to be the way I want it to be. Um, and so I have to find a way to, to engage, to engage and, and they have to want to be involved. So yes, facilitation, uh, is required or facilitation is the mechanism for responsible leadership. Yeah. And the opposite would be the opposite of responsible leadership, in my opinion, and the opposite of facilitation is bossing people around. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And, and you know, that's actually, uh, you know, quite the, the, the easy, easier of the two to do, right? It's just bossing people around facilitating and responsible leadership. It takes a lot of intentional heavy lifting and, and work, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean... I think, I think bossing people around is for many people and in many organizational cultures and national cultures, the default position. Uh, so yes, I think it's for many people more familiar, more comfortable. Um, maybe it works some of the time. Uh, but I, uh, my focus for these many years has been, what do you do when you can't get where you want to go? simply by telling other people what to do, where you've got to engage with them and take them seriously. And in that sense, uh, facilitate them or help, help them, help them contribute and work together so that, so that we can move forward together. Yeah, no. And, and, and I like that, you know, my, my background, uh, being in the Marines, um, you know, and I'm really curious where, where you go with this. Uh, one of the things that I really try to stress on this uh, podcast, whenever the, the topic comes up about that type of command and control leadership is, you know, w when military leadership is portrayed, especially in, in movies, you know, it, it comes across very much command and control. Do what I say, when I say it, how I say it. And, and that's really not, I mean, does that happen? Absolutely. Is there a time and a place for it? Sometimes it's very rare, but there is a time and a place for it. But it's very much about building relationships, getting to know your people, looking out for their welfare, uh, knowing how to talk to them, how to relate to them. Um, and, you know, I'm really curious because you've probably been in some precarious situations here. We're talking about, you know, you mentioned generals and guerrillas. Um, have you have you noticed that? Like, do, do you believe what I just said about military leadership is true about the 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 facilitation of relationships and and that type of leadership versus command and control. No, I'm really very interested in in what you said because uh, I'm I haven't been in the military and I do watch a lot of movies and I would have fallen exactly into that trap uh, or, or that assumption that that uh, that military leadership is mostly command and control. So I'm very interested in, in what sense do you see it as facilitative? In what, in what sense in, in the Marines is it about, uh, 
we've all got something to contribute here and we're going to have to put our heads and bodies together to, to make it happen. Yeah, no, I thank you for that, that question back. Um, you know, I think one, one of the examples I like to use, and it's, it's a Hollywood example, uh, that a lot of people can see and, 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 and jest. Um, and it's actually Navy SEALs. It's, it's the movie Lone Survivor, uh, about the, you know, Marcus Luttrell and, and his unit on the side of the mountain in Afghanistan. And, um, there's a scene in there at the very beginning. So for those who haven't seen the movie, uh, there's a, the, the situation is they're going in to do recon on this village. Uh, they're set up in a really good position, but just this, this group of shepherds literally stumble upon them. Right. And it's, it's an older, uh, Afghani and it, it's a couple of younger, uh, folks. And in the scene, um, they, they have this long discussion about what to do. Right. And, and there's a lieutenant there who's in charge. He obviously has the ultimate authority to just say, Hey, this is what we're going to do. But the way that scene plays out captures it perfectly because everybody has, uh, has a chance to voice, you know, Hey, one guy says, Hey, I think we should just shoot them and get out of here because they'll call the whole village and we'll never make it out. Uh, another guy, you know, he throws in and says, we can't do that because it'll show up on CNN and it'll be, you know, uh, an international disaster. And, and everybody has their reasons with what they think they should do. But when you watch the, the scene, Lieutenant Murphy, um, he's sitting there and, and he's listening intently to everything everybody says. And he doesn't say a word. He just listens. And then when everybody's had their say, he steps in and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. And he, you can see right. that he has taken all of that input in and he tells them, we're going to tie them up. We're going to leave the knots loose so they can work away, but it's going to buy us enough time to get out of here. And, you know, they go through this whole thing. You know, he could have very easily said, you know, I'm the lieutenant. I'm the officer in charge. This is what we're going to do. And he could have made his decision, but he didn't. He mm -hmm. listened and he came up with a decision based off of the group's input. And as I understand facilitation, I think that's really a key piece of a successful outcome, right? Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you, you gave that complete example because uh, now I think I could be more precise. The answer is yes and no. Okay. So, um, yes, in the sense that facilitation is involved, involves listening and enabling everybody to contribute and connect equitably, uh, connect to each other, connect to themselves, connect to the situation. Uh, the difference is that what I'm calling facilitation doesn't have that authority uh, in the end. In your story, he listened, and in the end, it was his decision, and uh, and people either went along with it or they didn't go along with it. I assume from your story and his position that, that they thought it made sense and they went along with it and it worked. So that's great. Um, but, but I'm going a step further than that. And I'm saying, what do you do when you're trying to move forward and you have to involve people and you don't have any hierarchical authority to fall back on where people are going to do what they want to do uh, and, and therefore you have to help, you have to, to help them decide what am I going to do? What are we going to do? And how are we going to advance? And so, yes, it could still involve, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to listen and, and say, I think this is what 
I think this is what we're coming up with. Does this make sense to you? But it doesn't, the difference is it, it doesn't involve saying, I th- um, this is what I've heard and therefore I'm deciding right. this. At least in my role as a facilitator, I don't ever get to say, and therefore I'm deciding right. this. I can say, I think this is what you're saying. Does that make sense to you? And if I've, if I've listened well, people will say, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right. But I don't get to decide. Right. Yeah. No, that, I, I like that distinction because you're a hundred percent right is, is, uh, that, that authority piece. And I would imagine in, in your role, I mean, again, the, the list there, uh, most of the time when you come in to, to work with individuals or groups, whatever it may be, um, they're usually maybe not completely 180 degrees out, but probably pretty close to 180 degrees out on their thought process from the beginning anyway, right? A lot of the work I've done has been in groups in conflict, but I think I'm saying something more general. What's what's particular about the kind of work that I've done and what I mean by facilitation is this, uh, this um lack of authority it's leader i guess you could say it's leadership without authority uh um and and i would say it a bit differently than you say it is that in any group of people there there are differences (laughs) it may not always be 180 degrees but but there's always differences they may be uh you know they may be they may be a small, they may be large, they may be some of the time, they may be all of the time, they may be uh, agreeable differences or, or extremely painful or frightening differences. But in any group of people, there, there is diversity and differences and, and, and conflict. And so, uh, and, you know, that can be very difficult or, or frightening, as I said, um, and it can be very productive, uh, even in the example you you gave. I haven't seen that film, but I suppose the the different things the different soldiers said were all important to coming up with a good way forward. It wasn't that only one of them said something smart, and the and the commanding officer just said, "Okay, we're going to do what Frank said." So this idea that there's differences and that. If you if you're able to handle it, this is this is productive, and 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 what often happens is that the bossy leader uh, shuts down those differences, and people uh, don't say what they're, or you get uh, kind of lousy ideas or all all the same idea, and 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 you're not. You don't get as good as you can if everybody could really bring all of their different selves uh, to the work. Okay, yeah, no, I, I like that last piece there because one of the things I talk about a lot when working with groups is uh, this idea of cognitive diversity. And if I'm, I'm tracking based off what you just said there, uh, your primary role is really to get get those kind of pull those out. I guess you could say to get people to voice their their different ideas or different opinions. And not only find the differences, but find common ground as well, right? Well, uh, yes. And cognitive diversity is certainly part of it. People have different ideas or different ways of thinking. Uh, But I would go beyond that 
different experiences, different life experiences, different positions in in the society or in the organization, um, and therefore, for all of those reasons, different perspectives. And yes, what I'm interested in is how can a diverse group, diverse in all those ways, how can a diverse group who are who don't have to follow orders uh, uh, find a way forward together? So, what is the the key element there with that? I mean, how, how again with you kind of like you said, not having any authority, really neither one of them having authority to f- make a final decision. Uh, and we know that everybody is, you know, like you, you mentioned, and I think it's a brilliant point to keep in mind for everybody is, is no two people view the same problem exactly the same way. Uh, what, is, what is your key element to really kind of getting those folks to have those conversations to find a solution? Well, I'm not sure there's one key element, but a few of them would be um, – before we try to find the solution, we have to understand the situation we're dealing with. Uh, and usually there's lots of different things going on and different people see it differently. So uh, I once had a colleague who said, you know, you can't be a, a good tailor if you don't have a good feeling for the cloth. So you, you have to, the, the, the starting point has to be what's going on here from different perspectives and to be willing to take, you know, it doesn't have to be years and years, but a little bit of time first trying to understand what are we dealing with here before we start proposing what we ought to do about what we're dealing with here. So that would be one one key point. And, and often uh, people see the situation very differently. You know, I think it's really a, a production issue. You think it's a quality issue. Somebody else thinks it's a community relations issue. Somebody else thinks that it's just because, because uh, uh, you know, Joe over here just isn't listening properly. So the to, to first uh, get maybe not an agreement, but at least a shared picture uh, of, of what have we got going on here. And then uh, what do we think we can do about it? And how do we... How do uh, the other thing that I think is crucial to facilitation is that you're always dealing with two um, dimensions of a group at the same time. It's a funny thing in English. I didn't realize until I was writing this book that the word group is both a singular noun and a plural noun. If you ever try to write a sentence with the word group, you you always have to pause. Do I say the group is or the group are? And that's the thing about English, but it has a very important significance for facilitation that you always have to pay attention to both. So on the one hand, the group is singular. Our group's objective is. Uh, our group's mission is. Um, our group's identity is. Our group's task is. So there's something about all of us, a singular, the whole, the singular whole. And the. it's also true that our group's missions are, our group's perspectives are, our group's responsibilities are, there's always this plural dimension. And the essence of facilitation is how do you work through what's the, what's the situation, what are possible solutions, what are we going to do, who's going to do what, all this normal stuff of figuring stuff out, 
paying attention both to the group as a singular whole and the group as a plural, uh, a plural group of members. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying it in a fancy way. Uh, I once, I once uh, gave a talk about this to a group of what are called interim managers in, in the Netherlands, was in the Netherlands. There's a, a job category called interim manager. They're professional managers. They, 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 they deal with a special project for a while or somebody's on leave or there's a gap between two people. So they're professional managers and they do, you know, they manage people temporarily or on an interim basis. And when I said this to them, they just looked at me and said, what you're describing is 100% of what you do as a manager. It's all about balancing the singular group and the plural group. That so <laughs> this isn't <laughs> this isn't a new idea, but but I don't think many people realize that that they always have to be concerned with both. Yeah, no, I like that, and and it is true. It's a hundred percent true. It's it's you know uh, the the age old question about you know what's the difference between management and and leadership, and and I always get to you know the the kind of standard is management's about things, leadership's about people, and. You know, that's very putting a, putting a very fine point on the pencil. But I, I like this because this is where I come to is like, that's the wrong question, right? The, the question is, is how do both of those things coexist at the same time? Because you can't just think about the people because then you'll give away the store and, and, and nothing gets done. And you can't just think about uh, the, the things because then the people don't get taken care of. And you really got to find that that balance in the scale so both of those things are taken care of correctly. Uh, so I, I really like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, and I I would just rephrase what you've said is you always have to be as a leader or as a facilitator. You always have to be paying attention to what's the whole here, the whole of the company or the whole of the department or the whole of the the platoon. We have something we're trying to do together. This isn't just a bunch of people milling around. So there is the whole, but that's not the only thing. There's also each of us as individuals with our needs and perspectives and personalities and 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 other things going on in our lives and we have to pay attention to both exactly as you've said and and that seems to me like um you know correct me if i'm wrong here but that that takes a, a lot of intentional and active listening not just hearing but active listening right yes for sure for sure um, and in a way, listening with two ears, if I can put it like that, uh, listening to what each person is saying and what they think and what they need and what they want and where they're coming from and and what they're concerned about and what's going on for them. Uh, and also listening to, well, what does this mean for for our collective responsibility, our collective task or our collective mission. And uh, one word to describe situations like that is, is their polarities. A polarity is two things that you can't choose between. You have to do them both. So, yeah, as you said, we have to do leadership and management. You have to do the group as a whole and the group as, the group as singular and the group as plural. But one of the lessons of uh, working with polarities is you have to do them both, but not at the same time. 
And the perfect analogy is like breathing in and breathing out. You have to do both, but you're not doing it at the same time. First you breathe in, then you breathe out. And anyway, um, so what I'm saying is you have to pay attention to both, but you have to keep moving back and forth between them. And the skill is to know, or the awareness is to know, at what point do I have to start paying, do I have to say to people, okay, we've heard everybody's, we've heard what everybody has to say, now what are we going to do as a group? What's the decision we're going to make? What's our agreement? What's our our resolution? What's our, our, our plan of action? So that's moving from the plural to the singular. Um, and when, on the other hand, you have to say, well, you know, um, we're, we're hearing all the time from, from Jill here. Uh, we know what Jill wants and we know what Jill's trying to get us to do, but, uh, or, or, or what the president Jill is trying to get us to do, but what do other people think and what are other perspectives and what are other options? Uh, so the, the fine skill of what I call uh, transformational uh, facilitation, transformative facilitation is to be able to move back and forth uh, uh, between these two so that you're not even thinking about it anymore. You know, you're not even thinking about do I breathe in or do I breathe out? You, you do this naturally. And, uh, and uh, an experienced facilitator isn't thinking about it. They're just moving back and forth as the situation requires. No, and I love that you're you're really doing a deep dive into these skills here because, you know, I, I run into folks, you know, through through what I do with, with leadership development and then through my career up into this, uh, you know, having spent time as a union representative and all that. I, I think a lot of people believe that that facilitation is something that pretty much just anybody can walk in and do and, and try to mediate and, and do these sorts of things. But you know, you, you really do need a very specific set of skills to be able to, uh, to pull this off. I mean, you, you have to have a very high, I, I'm, I, I, this may sound like a statement, but I guess I'm asking this a question. It sounds to me like you have to have a very high level of emotional intelligence. You have to have a very disciplined approach to, to being able to actively listen and, and problem solve and, and spend like 12 different plates at the same time, right? Yeah. Well, um, again, I, I, I don't know why I'm enjoying answering your questions. Yes and no. <laughs> I love it though. It's, um, I love that. <laughs> uh, but on the one hand, uh, I think anybody can be a facilitator or anybody can play the role of a facilitator. I don't mean it has to be a full-time professional job. And if you haven't done it for 30 years, like I have, you can't do it. No, on the contrary, I'm saying that facilitative leadership or uh, or facilitation is something that you can play as a member of a group, as a leader of a group, as a manager, as a chairperson, as a, uh, as a friend, as a coach, as a consultant. Uh, lots of people can play that role. And I am trying to put my finger on what's the essence of great facilitation. And like great anything, uh, it comes from, from practice. And in particular, if I was to simplify, paying attention to be able to know when do I need to emphasize the singular and when do I need to emphasize the plural. 
So, I mean, I have a, the book explains it in a more complicated way where there's not just, there's not a movement between, just between these two extremes, but five versions of the same movement, but let's, let's not get into that. But the, the essence is being able to pay attention. And another way of saying that is it's about, uh, yeah, listening well enough so that it's, it's not about what I want as a facilitator or what I think people ought to do or what I want people to do or what my fragile ego, uh, um, causes me to, to try to get people to do. Uh, it's about listening for what the group is trying to do. Um, uh, you, you've read the book, so you'll know that in the introduction, I tell a story from a very dramatic experience I had a few years ago. I was working in Colombia just after the signing of the peace treaty that ended this 52-year civil war. And I was working in a group of people. Uh, I was with my colleagues, was facilitating a group that included people who'd been combatants, you know, politicians and formal guerrillas and um, big business people and uh, academics and peasant farmers and uh, indigenous people. And anyhow, it, it went very well. It was going very well. And uh, there's a fellow there who I have a lot of respect for, uh, uh, a very wise man. And he came up to me at the end of the first day and he said, Adam, I see what you're doing here. I said, well, what am I doing? He said, you're removing the obstacles, to the expression of the mystery. <laughs> and this whole book came out of that one sentence. And what that one sentence means to me, having now thought about it for a few years, is first of all, most people think facilitation is about getting people to do right. things. And uh, when I give talks on facilitation, 100% of the time in the Q&A period, somebody will say, well, how do you get people to do this? How do you get them to do that? And that idea that, that the essence of facilitation or the essence of leadership is about getting people to do things, uh, I now realize is completely incorrect. I can't get anybody to do anything, really, uh, in, at least in that role. And so the other way to look at it, which this man was was suggesting to me, is it's about removing the obstacles that stand in the way of people uh, uh, getting where they're trying to go. I mean, he had a more esoteric way of saying it when he said, remove the obstacles, the expression of the mystery. This was a Jesuit priest who was saying this to me, but I think that's above my pay grade. I, I don't know what the mystery is. The mystery is, well, it's mysterious. That's why they call it the mystery. But the practical part of it is, how can I, what can I do as a facilitator to remove obstacles, and particularly, and sorry, I'll just end here, if you want to be really precise about it, removing the obstacles to people contributing and connecting equitably, and if you want a fancier say, way of saying it, removing the obstacles to people expressing their drive to power, love, and justice. So anyway, I've saved your listeners the uh, difficulty of having to read the whole book. That Now you've got it all. <laughs> well, I, I still think that today should go get a copy of the book, uh, Facilitating Breakthrough, because uh, it, it is it is great. And uh, there's a lot of good information in there. But I, I really like what you just said, because, you know, again, my experience is doing any type of this is, is you know, very limited. But one of the things that has kind of struck me out and I, uh, struck out to me, and I don't know if this is something that you notice uh, as well. 
But a lot of times it's really those obstacles that are the sticking point. Like the overall picture, most of the time they folks kind of already agree on quite a bit. It's those little sticking points. It's the one person wants this thing and the other person doesn't want to give it. And, and you, when you remove those, it really kind of opens the floodgate to, to be able to come to a, a, a mutual agreement, a compromise that everybody's happy with. Right. Uh, well, um, I think we're not exactly talking about the same thing. Uh, I mean, the image is the same. Uh, the image I use in the book is exactly the one you've given, is that it's obstacles like boulders in a stream. And if you remove them, then things just flow and move. So we're using the same image. And and we call our company uh, Rios. Rios is just a, a Greek word for flow. Mm. Um, like the Rio Grande or a Rio stat. Right. Uh, so, so it's, um, but I think, but, and sometimes the obstacles are little misunderstandings or little issues that we can deal with or compromise on or get out of the way. But I'm, uh, the obstacles that I, um, and sometimes it's as simple as that, but the obstacles that I'm talking about are, um, things that get in the way of um, of uh, the members of the team being able to contribute and connect equitably. And so the kind of obstacles I'm talking about is, uh, well, uh, the boss does all the talking or, um, uh, and other people aren't allowed to contribute or, it's very formal and we don't, we're not connected in any way personally, or we're dealing with it, but disconnected from the, where the problem really is, or, uh, um, uh, such and such a group is, fa is, is systematically favored. So, uh, so the reason I focus on these three words is, I think as a facilitator, if you can focus your attention on uh, contribution, connection, and equity, or equitable contribution and connection, or another way of saying it, power, love, and justice, I think if you focus on that, and how do I get everybody to be able to contribute and everybody to be able to connect in a way that is really fair uh, and just and equitable, then I think you can do anything. That's really all there is to it. Simple but not easy. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Speaking of of simple but not easy, um, I was very surprised when I was going through uh, the book to see that that you ask uh, a question that that you know I, I ask a lot of people, especially in the hiring process. Uh, I think this is a, a question that uh, every interviewer should ask the interviewee and every interviewee should ask the interviewer. Uh, but one of the questions, and it's one of the chapter uh, titles, uh, how do we define success? Why is that question so important to this process for you? Well, um, that chapter uh, is important because it deals with one of the five versions of this polarity. Uh, so let's focus just on, on that one. And it's five versions of the same polarity, which mean, and, 
Uh, by polarity, I mean two ways of, of looking at things, and they're both right. And so you have to move between them. So one way of looking at success is success is about coming to a conclusion or an agreement. And that that's what we want to get to. We want to get to what's the agreement, what's the conclusion, what's the deal. And we focus all our attention on that. And obviously that's important. Um, I'm not saying it isn't. But there's a second thing which is also important some of the time, which is uh, maybe the definition of success is about concluding, or maybe the definition of success is that we're moving forward, that we're continuing to advance. And the crucial thing sometimes is, okay, we haven't quite concluded here, but at least we're advancing, we're staying together, we're learning, we're, we're building our capacity to work together, we're, we're discovering what's really going on, we're trying stuff out. And, and the definition of success is um, uh, that we're advancing. So, uh, so the, the, because it's a polarity, neither of those is always correct. You can't say, no, no, the only thing that matters is, is the conclusion. Let's wrap this up. Uh, what's the deal? And nor can you say all the time, no, no, the only thing that matters is we're still working together. It doesn't matter whether we've concluded anything or dealt with anything. And so that's, this is one of the five polarities. Yeah. Well, no, and, and I like that. And, and, you know, I, I really want to say, I really appreciate, uh, you know, the way you, you've been kind of answering these questions here. I know you, you joked about, I'm, uh, you know, answering uh, yes and no, but I think that's important because of what you just said is, is very few things are either or there's a lot of moving components. And a lot of times those things exist at the same time. There's, you know, a dichotomy that's there and, 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 you know, go back to the, the kind of finding balance and paying attention to the things that need to be paid attention to when they need to be paid attention yeah. to. Um, and so I like the fact that you've really kind of, of unpacked both sides of that throughout this conversation. Um, and, and I, I, again, I love that you did that with this because, you know, I know it's not exactly the same, but it kind of reminded me of that, uh, the, the concept of finite and infinite games and, and, and getting mm -hmm. people to figure out which one yes. are you playing, which, which game are we playing in this, uh, in this conversation, right? Yeah. Well, uh, and another way to say that is there are some situations that are black and white, but that's not, the, that's not where we get stuck. Those aren't the right. difficult ones. And the difficult ones very often have this characteristic that there's more than one thing that's important here, and we can't focus just on one. We've got to focus on both, not at the same time, but alternately. And, and once we understand that, uh, it gets a lot easier because we're not we're not having this endless argument about should we have centralization or decentralization? Should we conclude or should we keep working? Um, uh, you know, should we think as a whole or think, uh, should we think of the task or think of the people? So all of these are, are classic polarities. And once you understand that, it all gets so much more straightforward. Okay. Then I have to fig, I have to learn to move between these things that sound like opposites. Yeah between these poles. And the, the problem with polarities is people hold on to one and they say this one is good and the other one is bad, or I'm right and you're wrong, or not just 
wrong. Uh, it's not just I disagree with you. You're wrong. It's not just you're wrong. You're bad. It's not just that you're bad, but you're the devil. Yes. And with that kind of polarization, you know, terrible things result. So, and that happens a lot in our world. Way too often. And so I, I'm, <laughs> I'm always saying yes and because that's how I look at the world. It's it's rarely one. It's rarely one. There's rarely only one side of the story. Yeah. No, it, it reminds me of an, I, I did this on a, a podcast a few episodes ago. There's old, uh, um, I want to say it's a Chinese proverb, but it, it's essentially the, the American version is, is well, maybe, uh, have, have you ever heard this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. So, no. um, there's a, he's a farmer. Uh, he wakes up one morning and finds out that his horses have ran away. And the, the townspeople come in, you know, because horses are very valuable. Uh, the, they oh. come in and they say, oh, we're very sorry that your horses ran away. That's got to be terrible. And he says, well, maybe. Well, that night his horse mm-hmm. returns and brings like three other horses with him. Uh, they, they're wild horses. And the f- village comes in and they say, oh, how, how fortuitous <laughs> for you. Your horse came back and brought more horses right. with you. That, that's got to be great for you. And he says, well, maybe. His yeah. son's trying to break the wild horses yeah. the next day and falls off and breaks his leg. And the f- villagers come through and they say, oh, that's terrible. Your son broke his leg. And he says, well, maybe. And so you see this. Uh, this keeps <laughs> yeah. going. These things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's not all or other. And you don't know. Yeah. A lot of times you don't know which one is really which, right? Exactly. And, uh Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 that's a great story. I've heard another version of it, but that's a great story. And, and yeah, I guess part of what I'm on about with, with my work and with this book is, uh, things are usually not, uh, black and white and, the tendency to want to make them black and white, right and wrong, good and bad, uh, gets us into a lot of trouble. Yeah. And I, my experience is that uh, if we can relax a little bit and listen and and open up and hear what other people have to say, whether or not we agree with them, uh, we can make progress even in the most difficult contexts. And I have worked in the most difficult contexts, civil wars, uh, uh, infant uh, starvation. Uh, um, <laughs> I worked in a lot of different contexts. And it is possible to move, it is possible to move forward together, even in situations where people have a very different uh, perspectives and and interests and, uh, and and needs, but it takes a different approach, and it takes this approach that I'm that I'm calling facilitating breakthrough. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Well, Adam, we we covered a lot of territory here. We've been chatting for closing in on about forty five minutes or so here. Um, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you really want to leave listeners with? No, just that. Uh, what I'm talking about here, about working with difference and embracing difference and finding a way to move forward in the reality of difference rather than resorting to bossing people around, 
I guess the only other thing I'd want to say about that that might not be obvious is this is really true at all scales. It's true in the family, uh, in a marriage, uh, in, in the community, uh, in a neighborhood, in an organization, in a corporation, in a, in a country, in the world. So um, I, I've tried to, to, to map out how do you deal with situations like that, but what I want to say is this applies in all contexts, at all scales. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I like that a lot. And it, uh, I love things that, that can expand and contract if, uh, to, to meet the needs of the situation. So, um, Adam, uh, folks want to get a copy of the book, Facilitating Breakthrough, How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Differences, and Move Forward Together. They want to find out more about you. Uh, maybe they need your services to help uh, help them in the situation they're in. What's the best way for them to do that? Well, the book is, as they say, available where good books are sold. Uh, not exactly piled up at the drugstore, but anyhow, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> not, not hard to get at a bookstore or online. Uh, uh, so, um, and my contact information is in the book and the organization that I'm part of, uh, where we do this kind of work uh, all over the world on all kinds of different issues, is called Rios Partners, R E O S Partners, riospartners.com. As I said, Rios is the Greek word for flow. So, uh, you can find out about the book and free downloads and how we're applying it in different contexts and contact information at www.riospartners.com. Love it. Love it. And I will make sure that's in the show notes so listeners can click on there and, and uh, get there very easily. We want to uh, remove that obstacle for them. So uh, again, thank you very much. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I love the approach you took to the questions and, and how you answered them and how we got into both sides. I really did. So thank you very much for spending this last 45 minutes or so here with uh, myself and my listeners. I really appreciate everything you're doing and thank you for this great discussion. Thank you all. It's been a real pleasure. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. 
I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.